But we'll come to a time in our service now. We're going to look at a passage from the Bible. We're going to talk about what it means, why this matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to Matthew's Gospel? Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. If you're using this brown pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 684. And when you found that, would you stand with me together and we'll read this passage together. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5, continuing in our series on prayer, Ask, Accessing the Father's Heart Through Prayer. This is Jesus speaking now, and he says this, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and ask God's blessing now as we come to his word to do what he wants to do in the midst of us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you as you have asked us. And I pray that you would bless this time together now as we come to your word. We believe this is a living word, that this is not just some historical document written thousands of years ago. This is a living word because it was inspired by your Spirit. And so uh, even though it spoke to the original readers, it also speaks to us today by that same Spirit who is present among us now. And I ask that that Spirit would open up each of our hearts, open our ears to hear and, and receive what it is you want to say to us this morning. And that it would be transforming within us, that we wouldn't just hear these things, but we would act on them, that we would change, that we would be obedient to what you show us. As we've said already, God, you tell us in your word, when you send out your word, it does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it, O oh God. Accomplish that purpose in each and every one of us. And as I always pray, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. This message uh, this morning is covered in all kinds of tears. Tears of joy, tears of sadness, tears of praise. We are completing, coming to the end of our, our brief time looking at the what and the why of prayer or that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And now today, we come to the how of prayer. The how of prayer, as we dig into Jesus' teaching on prayer, Matthew 6, classically called the Lord's Prayer. And this is where we're going to camp out now for the remainder of this series, through prayer. And I don't even know what happened this week. I, I don't know what happened. I, I, I was completing my study, and I sat down to write this message. And, and in that moment, as I sat down to write, all of a sudden, it was just like God's presence just came in such a... a amazing, powerful way. I was just overwhelmed with this sense of 
awe and amazement at what I was looking at. I just, numerous times, I just had to stop, and all I could do was just stare at the computer screen and weep, just tears pouring down my face, which is super awkward when you're sitting in a public library. <laughs> but it's just what it was. It was an amazing experience that I honestly didn't want to end, and yet I also needed to write a sermon. <laughs> We're looking this morning at the basis of prayer. The basis of prayer, which is simply to ask the question, on what basis, for what good reason, can sinful men and women like you and I come before a holy God and have any expectation that He hears us, that He listens to us and answers now that word basis, maybe that's not a word you use a lot in everyday conversation. If you were speaking in terms of logic or debate, we might substitute a word like warrant or premise. If you break it down that, to its, its root, that word basis, the, the root word that we build that off of is just base or, or foundation, which maybe helps us understand a little bit more of what that word means. So the, the question could then become, on what foundation are you building or constructing an argument or a belief, in this case, the belief that God hears and accepts us and answers us when we pray. What, what basis do we have for that? Because if the base or that foundation is strong enough, then it can sustain the weight of whatever that belief is that we're building on top of it. And if it's not, if that base is not strong enough, then the argument or the belief falls apart. Commenting on uh, this passage this morning, pastor and author Tim Keller notes that whether we realize it or not, every time we approach anyone with a request, let alone God himself, we do so with an implicit assumption about the basis on which we can do that. So for instance, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were visiting Manhattan for our anniversary. And although it's incredibly well laid out, the subway system there can be quite confusing if you're not familiar with it. And so on the basis of, I guess, our common humanity, uh, on the basis of the fact that probably at one time or another these same people also struggled to find their way around, we would ask people how to get where we were going. Hey, is this the train that will take us to here? Uh, is this train going to stop there? Or are we going to have to get to a different... We would ask people, and we found time and time again that basis was valid. And people would help us out. They'd be like, oh, no, no, don't get on there. You've got to be over here. It was incredible. But without even having to stop and think about it for a second, we knew instinctively that while there might be sufficient basis to ask for directions, there was not sufficient basis to ask for much more than that. Like, I couldn't just walk up to some random New Yorker and say, wow, tickets for Hamilton are super expensive. Could, could I just borrow $800 from you so my wife and I can see it? We didn't even have to wonder about that. There wasn't sufficient basis to make that request. So take all that and now transfer it into our question about prayer and approaching the God of the universe, the creator of all that is, on what basis, what's the foundation that we're able to approach him with our requests? Maybe if you grew up in the church, you've been a Christian for a long time, you may not have even ever thought about the answer to that question. You might just shrug and be like, I don't know, I just, I just pray and I believe God hears and answers me. And I say, yeah, I believe he hears and answers you too. But why? Why does he do that? On what basis do you believe that he hears and answers you? On what basis are you able to even enter into the throne room of heaven 
and get an audience with the king of the universe. Why? What I'd like to submit to you this morning is that we need to know the answer to that question. What is the basis of prayer? Because in our passage this morning here, Jesus presents two different bases for prayer. One of them provides instant, unlimited access into the very presence of God. The other provides us with no access at all. So I'd say it's pretty important that we know on what basis we're offering our prayers to God, wouldn't you? And in order to help us answer that question, I want to look at our passage this morning in just three ways. I want to show you the problem of access, the power of access, and then finally the pathway to access. The problem of access, the power of access, and the pathway to access. So if you closed your Bibles, open them again with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5 there. Follow along with me as we look at how Jesus reveals the fatherhood of God as the sole basis for our prayers. So let's look first of all at the problem of access. The problem of access. And now this really is a problem because if Jesus, if what he's saying is right here, that means that there's, it's possible for us to presume upon a basis in our prayers that's actually a false basis. It's not a stable foundation that can sustain the belief that we're trying to build on top of it. I mean, without even looking at our passage yet, we can just zoom back and look at the big picture, the whole story of the Bible, and know that from Genesis 3 onwards, the problem of a free, unhindered access to God has been present throughout human history. That's because although we once enjoyed such access to God, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and were expelled from the Garden of Eden, that very first temple where God's Spirit dwelt, we are, there is no longer access. From that point onwards, that access has been removed. It's, it's blocked now. There's no earthly human means by which we can get it back again. The access to God is now blocked. That's why we have passages like Habakkuk 2.20, which says, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. I'm in my holy temple. You, you don't come into my presence at all. Or, or pictures like we see in Mount Sinai in Exodus. God's presence descends on the mountain in this terrifying display of, of smoke and fire and power. And the people are terrified. God says, don't even touch this mountain where my presence dwells. If one of your animals even comes to touch it, it must be stoned. The clear picture here and countless other places is that access to God for sin six. Sin-sick humanity is now closed. We don't have it any longer. And if you look at it from that standpoint, it sounds awful. And yet, what we also see from the Bible and also through human history, even though that might be true, that doesn't stop most of us from still trying to get access to God by our own means anyway. We try all kinds of different ways to do it. And in our passage, Jesus presents two such ways of trying to regain that access to God by our own human efforts. Verses 5 and 7, these are two, what I'm going to say are false bases, or bases, where we try to access God on our own. Look first of all at verse 7. Jesus says, when you pray, do not 
keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Now that term babbling uh, from the Greek is the word spermologos. It has this idea of a scavenger who goes around gathering up all these different random bits of knowledge and cobbles them together into these kind of meaningless, useless sentences. So he says, don't be like that and don't babble like pagans, he says. So don't, those who actually have no relationship with God, this is, don't try to approach God like that. that, that it's, he's presenting meaningless repetition. Oh, please, 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 help me, help me, help me. Meaningless repetition as a means of gaining access to God. Like if we just pester God enough, like some kid in the backseat of a car that wants mom and dad to take him to McDonald's, at some point, God's just going to go, oh, fine. You can have what you want. Just shut up already. Not a way to access God. And yet, before we get too comfortable, we see in verse 5, Jesus also presents religion as a false means of access to God. Look, he says, verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. These are the religious leaders who would love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their, their reward in full. Now there especially, Jesus is talking about those who would come to God in prayer, and it's actually not even about asking God primarily for what they're praying about. What they really want is for people to look at them, see how spiritual they are. Look at how, look at how godly I am and my highfalutin, awesome prayers. And what Jesus says there is, hey, listen, if that's your goal, congratulations, you got it in full. Now, you don't, you don't actually have access to God in a way that he's going to hear your prayers and answer you, but you got what you really wanted, which was the praise of men. If that's what you wanted, you, you got that. But again, not access to God. And what Jesus is getting after with these two examples, he's trying to present a basis that a lot of us have when we come to God with our prayers. He's pointing out these are actually false bases. They, 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 they assume that you have a relationship. They assume that you have access. But whatever else they achieve, they do not secure. They don't regain access with God. Why? Well, because it's a basis that assumes access to God is ultimately a business relationship. That's what it is. We assume it's a business relationship. If I do these things, then God, you're going to do that thing. If I put enough coins in the machine, then my Gatorade is going to come out. We think prayer is like that. Again, Keller points out, when, when we come to God that way, we're really we're treating him in this business relationship like he's a landlord. We're treating God like a landlord. Now, any of you have ever rented a place you know, you get, hey, I get to stay in this place. I get to stay in this house or this apartment. Uh, it's dry. It's warm. Uh, the appliances are taken care of. If it's one of the buildings Ken manages, it's going to be newly painted. All kinds of, that happens for you. And yet, he's not, the landlord isn't doing that out of the kindness of his heart. He's not just trying to bless you. Hey, come stay in my building. He's doing that because you're paying rent. The second you stop paying rent, that access to him, to that apartment, gone. And with these two examples, what Jesus is trying to do, these are just two of many examples. He's trying to point out the fundamental inability of all human efforts 
in order to regain the access to God that we lost in the Garden of Eden. He's saying all of them, they're all a false basis. They're not accomplishing what we think they are. And if you're a Christian here this morning, maybe this, this is one of the first places, I think, where if you grew up in the church all through your life, maybe you have an over-familiarity with prayer, it can make this whole idea even of somebody not having access to God and prayer seem strange or foreign to us. What do you mean someone could pray to God and not have access to Him? What? And if it sounds strange to you, it's likely you may have gotten to a place where now, without even thinking about it, you just assume access to God. Of course I can have access to God whenever I pray. You just assume it. And you've totally lost sight of the amazing privilege that our restored access to God actually is. And when we assume access to God in prayer, very often we lose sight of, we forget where we are and who we're speaking to when we pray. You would come in to the very presence of God when you're praying. You're standing before the God who created all that is and what you're going to come in Throw your coat on the chair and kick your feet up. Listen, God, i got some things I want to talk to you about. What? An over-familiarity with prayer. We've forgotten even where we are, who we're standing before when we pray. My encouragement to all of us, as it relates to this idea, is that we would pause and consider each time we come to God in prayer who we're speaking to, where we are standing when we pray before we launch into our grocery list for God. Because I think a renewed understanding of that astounding reality is going to transform all of our prayer lives, both in the way we pray as well as the confidence with which we pray. Okay, so that's the problem of access, namely that in our own efforts and reaching, we don't have it. We, we don't have access by our own efforts. So if that's what not having access looks like, let's look now at the power of access. The power of access, and this is essential because if a false basis, if a false foundation means our access to God remains blocked and consequently our prayers are not heard and answered, imagine the power, the amazing power available to us when we approach God on the basis Jesus says is valid. When we come and access Him in a way that that access is actually true, that access is regained. And the basis that Jesus gives us, we see in verse 9. Look with me there. After presenting these human means that do not and cannot help us regain access to God in 5 through 8, Jesus says essentially, hey, do you want to know the secret? You, you want to know the secret of real, true, powerful access to God in your prayers? Verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven which means, and I'm just going to state it outright and then we'll go back and unpack it a little bit, it means the only basis for our prayer that truly gives the one praying access to God is not a business relationship at all. It's a family relationship. The only basis for prayer that truly regains access is not a business relationship. It's a family relationship. First thing to say about this is that this is, sorry, yet another place where Growing up in the church all your life, an over-familiarity with prayer can cause us to not really see the, the weight, the, the incredible weight of what Jesus is saying here. 
Because if that's your history, if you grew up in the church all your life, you also probably grew up with this prayer. You grew up with the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I'm showing my age a bit here, but I remember in elementary school, I went to public school, and even there, we used to say the Lord's Prayer before class every day. So we just, we know this. We get it. So we read Jesus saying, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven. We're like, yeah, of course. And Jesus is like, no. No, no, not, not of course. It's not of course at all, because listen, there's all kinds of places through the Old Testament where God refers to himself as Father, refers to all of his people as his children. Yes, but no one would have dared or even thought to refer to God that way themselves when they prayed. On an infinitely smaller level in my day, this would be like referring to my dad by his first name. Hey, Ray, you want to come and help me with my homework? There would have been a brief pause, and then it would have just looked up. I beg your pardon. Do not refer to your father by his first name. And as any devout Jew knew, the name God had given to his people by which he was to be referred and prayed to for all time, given to Moses, the burning bush was Yahweh, Lord, uh, Jehovah, Adonai. That, that's how you referred to God in your prayers, which if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that's one of the many reasons Jesus got into so much trouble. Because he kept referring to God as his father, which implied a family relationship. And all the religious leaders are like, that's blasphemous. No mere man can refer to God as his father. You don't have a family relationship with him. But now, not only is Jesus referring to God as his father, he's telling his followers to refer to him as father as well. Now, it's Jesus telling us to do this. So if we're wondering about who to trust, whose word to trust about the right way to pray, I think we can stick with the second person of the Trinity as a reliable source of how to know how we should pray. But the point is, we have to read this and understand it through the eyes and the ears of the original hearers. Because this would have been radical to them. Pray to God as our Father? Really? You can do that? We don't hear it that way, but they certainly would have heard it that way. We also need to see the reason Jesus tells us to pray to God on this basis. Which if you hadn't picked it up already, it's because, just think about your own life today. There's all kinds of people you don't have access to, let alone God himself. There's all kinds of people you don't have access to. I can't one day go and knock on Bono's door at his Dublin flat and say, Hey, can you help me work on guitar riffs for a couple hours? You don't ring up Buckingham Palace and go... Cry on the queen's shoulder over tea when your relationship falls apart. And you can't crawl into bed with Justin Trudeau and his wife at night when you've had a bad dream. But you know who can do those things? Who can do them whenever they want to? Their children. Their children can absolutely do those things. uh, In all of those scenarios, a child has a kind of access that basically nobody else does. And so in telling us to pray this way, what Jesus is saying is that this family relationship, this is the only basis on which we can come to God with confidence that he hears us and he will answer us. But along with that, he's also telling us about something about the kind of relationship God wants to have with us, that he wants to have a family relationship with you, namely as a father to a child. Which means, I don't know if I've ever thought of the Lord's Prayer this way myself. 
It means that along with teaching us the basis of prayer, a basis on which we can be confident that we have access to God in our prayers, along with that, in teaching us to pray to our Father in heaven, Jesus is also teaching us about the adopting grace of God. He's teaching us about the adopting grace of God. He's saying God doesn't just want to be your sovereign ruler. He also wants to have a close family relationship. He wants to be your father. How do I know that? Well, because basically, I mean, every religion in the world has some kind of prayer, some kind of offering sacrifices to God, whatever it is. And in every one of those relationships, every one of those religions, prayer, offering sacrifice to God is entirely based on a business relationship, never a family relationship. It's always a a transaction where I pay whatever worship, prayer, sacrifice I need to, and then that God, whoever it is, gives me what it is I'm asking for. Each time with no idea whatsoever if I've ever done enough prayer, done enough things in order to get that thing I'm asking for. You see in verse 5 and and 8, Jesus is saying, "Don't, don't do that. Don't come to God like that. Come to God as your Father. Come to Him as your Father in heaven where you can be confident of your access to Him whenever you need it and also enjoy all the rights and privileges of a child at the same time. It's multiple blessings. It's not just access. It's relationship. That's the kind of access that no business relationship could ever offer you. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, begins where all true prayer must commence, with the spirit of adoption, coming to God as our Father. He goes on, There there is no acceptable prayer until we can say, like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, I will arise and go to my Father. Remember that prodigal son sitting in the pig slop, eating corn rinds or whatever he's eating out of the trough, if, if that guy that he's taken all that money from and squandered is his boss, don't even bother going back. Figure something else out. Why would you bother? But because it's his father, he knows I can at least go to him. He's not going to be happy with me. This isn't easy. But I know I can go to him because I have a family relationship with him. And when your access to God is regained through his adopting love, so do your prayers now become powerful. Why? Because now you're drawing from his strength. You do have access into the very throne room of heaven, and that God who created everything is the one hearing your prayers and answering them. That's the power of access once it's been accomplished. And I'll tell you what, this is the part right here. This Understanding all this, looking at all this, as I was considering and meditating on all these things, this is where I started to lose it. This is where my heart was just blown up. My my mind was just overwhelmed and filled with the amazing greatness of what I was looking at. Because just think about your life for a second. I was thinking about me. You think about your life. When I considered all my failings, consider who I was before God saved me, My sinful, wicked heart, I just couldn't understand when I looked at this. Why? Why would 
this holy God want any relationship with me at all? Why would he want that? Why would he want me to call him Father with all that I've done, all the ways that I've spit in his face, ran after sin? Why would he welcome me back? Why would he want any kind of relationship with me? It didn't make sense. I couldn't understand it. And it overwhelmed me. It's like David, Psalm 8, when he said, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? Son of man that you would care for him. Why would you care about me? Why would you pursue me to have this relationship, to restore that access? The only thing I could come up with was what Martin Luther said as he spoke about how the Father sets his adopting, transforming grace on unworthy recipients. He said, the love of God does not find, but creates that which is lovely to it. Say that again. The love of God does not find, it creates that which is lovely to it, which just means God didn't set his love on me because I was so lovely. He didn't come into that orphanage and say, oh, that one there, that one looks nice and lovely. I'll adopt that one. No, I was, I was broken. I was disfigured, sitting in my own filth. And he chose me, and he made me lovely in his loving of me. He creates that which is lovely to him. He doesn't find the lovely thing. And I think a renewed understanding of that, the adopting grace of the Father, That'll also transform our prayer lives. It'll mature us far beyond the, oh, should I have to pray into an understanding of, I get to pray to you. There's no reason I should have this access, and yet I get to. Which will lead prayer to be something that we want to do. We want to pray every time we get the chance because look at this, look at this access I have to you. I've got no hope of deserving it. Look what you've done. I, I, I want to have that access every chance I can get. But as glorious as all that is, and it truly is glorious, the question that remains is okay, well, how, how can he do that? How? I mean, isn't this same God holy and just? I mean, how can he just welcome people into his family that formerly had to be removed from his presence because of their sin? Well, how can he just welcome people into his family? I mean, that's like Donald Trump going through a maximum security prison, releasing convicted murderers on the basis that he wants to legally adopt them. How can God do that? How does he overcome this barrier that formerly he said was there? Well, that's what we're going to look at in our last point here. The pathway to access. How do we get that access? The pathway to access. So how can a holy God adopt people into his family that formerly he had denied access to because of their sin? How can he do that? He can't. He can't do it. At least not without violating his own character and nature. And this is where we get to spend just a minute looking at the equally glorious truth of how God can be both a loving father and a just judge. He's both. This is important because I think God has received some, I think, unfair criticism, particularly over the last century, where God has been uh, seen as unloving and unjust, mostly just because he discriminates. He doesn't just 
take everybody. He doesn't adopt everybody. So God must be unloving and unjust. Now, we've talked about this a lot through the years, but I think it's worth repeating in this context. A judge who doesn't punish injustice is neither loving nor just. No, justice, in order for justice to be filled, those who are damaged by the injustice, that offense must be punished in some way in order for justice to be served. It would be unloving and unjust to do anything else. And in the same way, people who are separated from access to God by their sin cannot just simply be welcomed in and adopted as sons and daughters without justice first being served for the sins that separated us from God in the first place. Problem is, none of us ever could make a just repayment for our sins. We can't do it, not least of which for the fact of, hey, we don't just have this past record of sins that we need God to deal with. Hey, can you deal with this? No, no, we, we keep sinning. Even once we've realized our need to be forgiven, we keep doing it. So we need someone to deal with this problem of sin that we can't pay for ourselves. And this is where the amazing good news of the gospel comes in and shows us how Jesus, in him, he walks the pathway that none of us could walk and accomplish justice on our own behalf. That pathway is walked by an acceptable and perfect substitute. There's lots of places that talk about this. One of the clearest places I think we see of what the Father did in Jesus in order to make us able to be adopted, we see in book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, 23 to 26. This is where the apostle states this, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is that, that's the, the justice problem, right? That's the thing keeping us from God that has to be dealt with before we can be adopted. But then Paul says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. How? Through the redemption that came by Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this, listen, to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. Ephesians 2. Remember, he says, that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who has made the two one, has destroyed the barrier. He's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. Last one, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says here. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now there's lots that's amazing right there about what we just read. 
What I want to focus on here for just a minute as it relates to what we're talking about here is this, how it relates to the issue of adoption. Because hopefully you see very clearly Paul's point over and over and over again is that Jesus is the one God sends to deal with that barrier, to deal with the problem that kept us from being adopted and separated from God so that we can be justly adopted and we can justly have that access to God restored now. It's through Jesus that we can do that. He is the pathway. But as it relates to our passage this morning and all the places where Jesus teaches about prayer, every place in the Gospels where he teaches the Lord's Prayer, something really amazing to think about. Imagine this. Consider the incredible grace of Jesus standing there, teaching his followers about prayer, knowing as he's teaching them, the very access to the Father and prayer that he's teaching them about is going to cost his very life in order to accomplish. Think of that. Jesus knew as he's telling his disciples, pray our Father in heaven, he would be the one who would accomplish and secure that access at infinite cost to himself. Which if you didn't know, that's, that's the reason that we close Basically, all of our prayers with those words, in Jesus' name. We say that because it's only through Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, that we even have access to God as a father. Jesus, he he is our pathway to the fatherhood of God. He is the one that Paul calls in uh, 1 Timothy 2, he's the one mediator between God and man. Which means we ought to praise God. It ought to be a, a quick prayer of thanksgiving as well each time you close a prayer in Jesus' name. Being mindful that each time we pray that way, it's only because of you, Jesus, that I even have access to the Father at all. J.I. Packer famously said, The simplest definition of a Christian is one who has God as their Father. That's what a Christian is. But what's interesting is that for all this talk about family relationship, that's how we have access to God. In the end, with everything we've been looking at here, we see that access to God as a father is actually ultimately secured by a transaction, a kind of business relationship. The only difference is it's not a payment made by us because we could never afford that payment. And it's a business transaction, if we can call it that, but it's a business transaction completed amongst family. For what the Bible shows us is that in Jesus, God himself makes the just payment for us to remove the barrier to our access and secure our adoption. He makes the payment himself. And in doing so, he provides the only access that we have to him in prayer. So how about you? Think about your own prayer life for a minute. How do you access God in your prayers? How do you, how do you seek to access the Father's heart? How do you come to God and approach Him in your prayers? Do you come with your accomplishments? Do you come with your religious activities, hoping to, to barter with God somehow for what you're bringing to Him in prayer? God, I've done these things. I've served the poor. I've helped these People, I've prayed lots of different times. You're going to grant my request, right? Do we come to God even trying to impress Him or, or, or pester Him with our prayers, repeated 
pleadings. Jesus is clear here. Although those who come to God with, on these bases think their prayers have been heard and will be answered, they will not. Or do you come to God as your Father? Do you come to Him as your Father in heaven, trusting not in your own merit, not in your own ability to come before God, but trusting in Jesus' merit? Jesus' merit that secures your access to God whenever and for whatever you may need. If you come that way, Jesus says you can have confidence in that basis for your prayers, that that foundation can support the weight of that belief. When you come to God as our Father, you truly do have access. That's a basis that can stand. For this is always and ever the sole basis for our prayer through Jesus. Our Father in heaven. That's the basis for our prayer. Our Father in heaven. I'm praying for each of us from this morning forward, each time you offer a prayer now from this day forward. You remember that. God is your Father in heaven. He's your Father. Which means He cares for every single need and request that you would bring to Him in a way that no earthly father ever could and which no unloving father ever would. He's the perfect father. But he's also our father in heaven. Which means that, yes, while caring for you as a father, he remains the sovereign, omnipotent ruler of all. He's both. Which means he's more than able to answer your requests with all the wisdom and power that only the God of the universe could. Let's pray to him now. Enjoying this great privilege of access that we have through Jesus. I ask those of you who are helping me serve communion if you'd come forward as well. Our Father in heaven, we come before you because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And we present our requests before you. Just as we saw last week, we present them with thanksgiving because we believe you care about these things. We believe you will hear us and answer. We don't command you and tell you what to do, and yet we are amazed and encouraged, hopeful, because now we know there is a basis on which we can know we can confidently come before you. So we praise you this morning. God, would you give us grateful hearts always for that access that we would never just assume and become just like it's no big deal. It's no big deal to come before you this way. Help us to remember what an amazing privilege this is to come before you. Help us to remember as well that we have access into your very throne room and remember who it is we're praying to, who it is that you've restored access to. And as long as we have breath to pray to you, we will give you thanks. Our Father in heaven, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.